listening to episode 95 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I am John Mark DeRoe, the worship and community pastor here. I'm joined by Brad Brown, who is our discipleship pastor, and then our lead pastor, Jonathan Hafes. Man, I miss you guys. It's been a couple of weeks, and it's good to be with you all. Man, it's good to have you here. Like holidays and all sorts of stuff falling back to back. It's just... So the end of the year, beginning of the year is always a weird time. Just trying to get everybody together in the same place. So it's nice. It's nice to be back to have the band back together. That's right. A lot has happened. It's 2022. We have seen so many historical things happen. Georgia won their first national championship since 1980. That's a really wow. kind way. Monday. That's a really wow. kind way of putting that there, JM. Brad, what do, you mean, J- what do you mean, Jonathan? You know, I know that y'all don't want to make anybody upset, but Brad and JM may look especially joyful right now. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I very objectively watched a football game on Monday night and then very objectively watched a basketball game last night. Right. 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 Everybody knows that these two are diehard Auburn fans and that Alabama lost twice in two days. It's just, a rare thing just that let happens. Us, just let us have a little something, okay? It, oh, it's a rare thing that a happens. Something. Like I said last year, Auburn is a basketball school now. This is well documented. <laughs> we are... What fifteen and one, the number four team in the country. So CBS Sports good things has us rated number one. Yeah, so good things are I happening. Know what that means uh, with Bruce Pearl and his Tigers. Yes, condolences to all yes. Alabama fans out there. Definitely, um, it's a great time to remember your identities in Christ. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, but anyway, yeah. Well, anything else going on? You guys want to talk about before we uh, move along? I think. JM has something to say. Ashley and my family and I, we all went through COVID. Oh, yeah. Uh, We had our first, as far as we know, the first time documented that we had uh, coronavirus. And um, it was very mild for all of us. And we have have made it out uh, safely and healthy on the other side of it. And we're just trying to get everybody back in school and at work right now. But, um, yeah, we... We, we had that as a kind of a new year. <laughs> welcome to the new, new year. New Year's resolution. Welcome to 2022. <laughs> right. Oh, it was wow. fantastic. So, yeah. Well, well, good. Your symptoms were mild. That's what you said? Yeah. Yep. Oh, good. Yeah, we were very, um, very fortunate to not have anything serious, and we mostly just hung out inside of our house and watched movies. So I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're super thankful that y'all are good, man. Seriously, yeah, super you. thankful. And glad you're back to give us an album of the week. Yes. James album of the week. Yeah, so my album of the week this week was actually an album that I missed last year. I love discovering albums that I happen to miss. Uh, Totally off my radar. Came out in October of 2021. The band is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, They've been very inspirational and influential just with my musical journey. Uh, The band Explosions in the Sky from Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. They're a post-rock ambient band that has been around for now 20 years. Uh, which is really awesome. I've seen them live before. They're just an incredible band, and they're really, really groundbreaking in terms of the style that they play. This is an album they put out last year 
uh, pretty cool. It's a soundtrack to a PBS documentary. Uh, the PBS documentary was titled Big Bend, The Wild Frontier of Texas. It debuted last year. Uh, it's an hour-long film that follows the lives of native animals amid expansive aerial views of the iconic desert landscape uh, that makes up one of the grandest natural wonders in the world. And they asked, approached Explosions in the Sky, who, who are from Texas, if they would score this documentary film, and they did. And it is a beautiful, beautiful album. They've released it on vinyl. You can find it on Spotify. It's 20 tracks. Every every track on here is good. I've listened to it nonstop uh, since I found out about it about a week ago. So Wow. That's awesome. I, yeah. I love Explosion of the Sky, and I, I was trying so hard to figure out who this was when yeah. you started playing it. Yes. Well, this, this is a little bit of a different sound than they've done before. There's more uh, steel guitar on some of these songs, more acoustic guitar. So they tried to do a lot sonically, and I think that it works out really, really well, and uh, it's becoming one of my favorite records of theirs. So definitely check that out. It's called Big Bend, an original soundtrack for public television. The band is Explosions in the Sky. Awesome. Nice. Awesome. I love that. Yep. Love that. I'm super stoked. I'm always on the hunt for instrumental music. Yeah, I was going to say, you're mm-hmm. you're really going to enjoy this. I know you like to listen to instrumental music while you study and write, Jonathan. So yep. I'm super stoked. Well, Brad, can you make me just as stoked with uh, what, <laughs> what, what book you've got to offer? Of course. Welcome back, friends, to Bradford's Book Club. We've missed you here at Bradford's Book Club. We, collectively, because we are a group, we are a movement. But I am excited about the book that I am recommending today. Shout out, specifically, to all the teenagers listening to this episode. Oh, you know, we got if a, you're a got teenager... A teen, got a big teen audience. If you're a teenager and you listen to the podcast, send us an email. <laughs> They're all like, what's I, email? <laughs> I don't know if we have the stats to bear that out. Send us a Snapchat. Send us a... Are we on Snapchat, uh, John Mark? I'm I'm Googling it right now. Let me find out if we're on Snapchat. That and TikTok. Okay, we're not on Snapchat. Okay, we're not. (laughs) We're going to get on that, though. Uh, But the book that I'm recommending is a book for teens and also parents. This could be a great book for you to get for your teen or to read with your teen. Ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Now, that's not to be confused with, isn't Sarah, is it Sarah McLaughlin? Yeah, the artist. Yeah, the singer who makes you feel really, really sad about the dogs. Who, the dog yes. commercials, y'all familiar with? So I, I know teenagers are listening to her a lot, for sure. <laughs> um, Very familiar with her. Yes, but uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, she holds a PhD in Renaissance literature from Cambridge University, and she also has a degree in theological and pastoral studies from Oak Hill Theological College in London. She is a prolific author and speaker. And in this book, she really lays out some tough questions that she wants teenagers to wrestle with about Christianity and some 
uh, current hot topic issues. So, uh, the questions that she addresses in the book are, how can we believe the Bible is true? Why can't we just agree that love is love? Isn't Christianity against diversity? Going to school, hanging out with friends, or scrolling through social media feeds, teenagers are sure to face real challenges to faith in Jesus. And whether you consider yourself a Christ follower or not, these questions can seem like deal breakers. Backed with state-of-the-art research and personal stories, Harry Potter illustrations. Are teenagers still into Harry Potter? It, you know, they just did a uh, an anniversary on HBO Max. That's right. Did you see that? That's if, right. I did, my, actually. If I my house it. is any indication, the answer is yes. Okay. Well, there you have it. So, uh, Harry Potter illustrations and careful Bible study, this book doesn't give, uh, excuse me, this book doesn't dodge tough questions. Instead, it invites teenagers to ask their hardest questions about Christianity and find surprising and life-giving answers. So, parents, I think this would be a great book to sit down with your teenager, y'all read it, and then y'all come and discuss. So, just to give you a a little taste, some of the uh, chapter titles are, How Can I Live My Best Life Now? Mental and Physical Health Benefits of the Christian Life. Can Jesus be true for you, but not for me? Universal Truth and Relativism. Can we just be good without God? God is the basis for morality. Uh, Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Origins of science, science and faith. So as you can see, a lot of great things that parents might not always know how to talk about their kids with. Obviously, there's important issues that teenagers that are disciples of Jesus are going to have to wrestle with. What is it? How do I approach these issues as a Christian? How do I think biblically and faithfully? So that's my recommendation. It's fantastic, man. It, it basically sounds very similar, almost like a teen version of uh, Tim Keller's Reason for God. Yes, uh, like like exactly. kind of got the same same take going on. And Rebecca, yes, uh, she's fantastic. And and adults, if you want to read more of her work, I mean, she's written not just for teens. Yep, uh, for adults. Prob- yeah, probably her most popular work is called Confronting Christianity. Yes, uh, twelve hard questions for the world's largest religion. And it it sounds very similar to what she's done right yes. here. Yes, with this this teen book. But she's written in Christianity Today as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should totally try to get her on the podcast. Yes, we shall. That'd be awesome. Yeah, she's written at we the shall. Gospel Coalition great. and. Yeah, we should yeah. we should try to get her. That would be awesome. All right, check it out. Well, Ten fanta- questions every teen should ask. Fantastic. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. <laughs> Just as much about the book as I was about the album. We aim to please here. As, as a book parent club. of a teen, I I'm I'm stoked. Well, guys, um, so today we've got um a, a kind of an odd episode, I guess, and it, it's kind of like a half episode, a half ep, if you will, and the reason is because. Uh, over the holidays, we had um, some things pile up down in the old corridor. That's right. Uh, the, so many things. That's yes, right. Our, yes. Our full-time publicist was just booked. <laughs> publicist? I don't think that's the right position. I, I think what it is, I think our complaining about not receiving emails got through to the people, and they, I, that's they right. responded. I have found guilt and shame to be very effective <laughs> in pastoral ministry. Oh. Um, but so, yeah, so we have four emails, and we're going to go through all of them. Not necessarily word for word, but we're going to go through all of them. Um, and then uh, that hopefully won't take all of our time. We do have a little bit of other stuff we'll we'll get to here. Uh, pastor fact, uh, frequently asked question. We'll get to it in a second. But first, love it. Let's head down to the email corridor. The email corridor. All 
right, so we're going to take these four emails in the order that we received them in. So our first one, and congratulations, yes, longest one, William Arthur Ashley. Uh-huh. Ah, William wrote us in after our Christmas special where we called people and such. Mm-hmm. And so, William, we love you, man. Um, I am probably going to be very – I'm going to disappoint you a lot in that we uh, we can't read the entire email word for word. Right. This is very detailed. Um, but uh, for, for anyone who would like to see William's email word for word, we can probably get it to you. Um, but, so we're going to summarize different parts of this. So let me just tackle it. That's right. Dearest midweek friends, hold on. This might be quite a ride. Or not. We'll see. Cassidy and I were listening to Shade's midweek Christmas special, and upon the mentions of Krampus and Belschnickel, I thought it would be at least entertaining to share my knowledge of the Christmas season's Germanic folklore. Mm. Content warning. The first part of this email may not be very family-friendly. <laughs> so there's two parts to this email, people. Um, so part one, you have been warned by William Arthur Ashley. So if you got those kids in the car, may want to turn it off now. There's your disclaimer. So here we go. William says, you see, long before the Krampus movie was born, my grandmother, Omi, Ami, how y'all think we say it? O-M-I. I don't know. I'm just going to go Ami. Ami. All right. So I'm sorry, William, if I'm getting her name wrong. Ami, uh, who's of Germanic descent, uh, born in Austria. Uh, from the Germanic and Slavic tradition. Uh, Ami was told as a little child that when St. Nicholas would come deliver gifts in the shoes that lay by the good children's doors on the night of December 5th, another being would also come. This one from hell. (laughs) 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 This this is already getting so intense. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He would come from hell bearing punishments for the bad children, and his name was Krampus. He looked like an eerily human goat with a particularly evil bent. And in the shoes of the kids, he would leave smelly coal and reed switches uh, with which the bad children might be beaten into better behavior. Goodness gracious. Uh, But it wasn't just a package delivery. (laughs) This This is next level. If you were especially, especially rotten and your parents were most irritated with you, he offered a package pickup too. Krampus would steal you away back to hell in a sack he carried over his shoulder, never to be seen again. At least that's what my little Austrian Ami was told. I don't know what kind of therapy Ami needs. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if she passed that tradition onward. Oh, my word. So I'm just reading select parts here now. He says, does the scary ghost stories part of the song, Most Wonderful Time of the Year, look a little bit clearer now? Yes. Yes. I've always wondered (laughs) that. I've always been like, that is such a weird line. Yeah. And I never made the connection. Oh, wow. There it is. Thank you, William. Yes. Well, so he goes on to talk specifically about Santa Claus and reindeer. He says, so where do Santa Claus and reindeer get their elaborate magical mythology? He says, I must make clear the following is speculative, not completely original, and absolutely weird. Which is, I mean, is which is really true when you start dipping into any really old traditions like this. It's like, true. It's, it's really speculative. It's so, history's not clean like we want it to be. It's so muddy. Mm. Um, but anyway, he says, so bear with me. Reindeer live up north, like northern Europe and Finland. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say this next word is Sami. Is that how would you say it? S-A-A-M-I. Works. Sami tribesmen in Finland herd reindeer, and some of the reindeer eat mushrooms. Apparently, so do some of the Sami 
uh, herdsmen. They also, and, and these are like hallucinogenics. This has turned into a Joe Rogan episode. Oh, my yeah. word. <laughs> so these Sami shamans have a history of ingesting mushrooms and climbing trees. <laughs> and then he goes, you know who else climbs trees? The Germanic gift-giving god of wisdom of war and war, Odin. And guess what else? Have you ever heard of the Wild Hunt? This is a European legend of a horrifying procession of otherworldly creatures and fairies that kidnap people and enslave them and bring them back to the fairy world. But this is the weird part, okay? Not just that... Now we're getting to the weird part. (laughs) (laughs) Not just that Sami shamans probably saw flying reindeer after eating shrooms and climbing trees, but also that various traditions of Odin were often... uh, Odin was often said to be the leader of the wild hunt. So basically what he's saying right here is you've got all of these different folklore things. You've got these herdsmen eating shrooms and like seeing their reindeer fly you've got uh, legends of odin traveling with otherworldly creatures to like terrorize the countryside and all that and then all that kind of gets mixed together yeah i'm feeling the christmas warmth in january i don't know about (laughs) y'all so this is where he references the christmas episode he says now when amy amy ross mentioned the movie rare exports and y'all talked about this weird evil santa under a mountain and elves who kidnap people sounded about right for pagan ancient medieval (laughs) europe so Odin, on his eight-legged steed, so instead of eight reindeer, we got an eight-legged steed, an otherworldly host, similar to Santa behind his flying reindeer with his army of toy-making elves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not to say these are the same thing, but maybe there's a connection. Uh, elves are weird pagan beings, too. That's, that's true. Um, <laughs> and he says, before anyone accuses me of bringing something totally benign into this, uh, weird stuff that syncretism half baptized paganism. He says, "Thank God for Jesus, the enemy is underfoot." <laughs> so <laughs> that's part one, people. Can I can I make a comment real quick? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Jam? I don't necessarily have any thoughts, but here's what I'll say. And Joseph uh, Wolnski can uh, can back me up on this. We were both in attendance at the Homewood Christmas Parade in December of okay. 2021. Oh, I've heard this story and. At some point, about midway through the parade, a very strange float makes its way down the street. People are dressed up in costumes. At first, I didn't know what it was at first. I was uh, very confused. Everybody seemed very confused, honestly. Like, the whole crowd it kind of got weirded out by it because it was so... It wasn't like Santa Claus or anything. Didn't fit the vibe. <clears throat> and... Um, and I think what they were, were what they were doing was this whole like Krampus kind of uh, pagan tradition. They were dressed up. I definitely saw somebody in, with a fox, like with a fox uh, head on, and it was just totally creepy and weird. With a fox and with a fox head on are it two was, very. T- it was <laughs> very. It was very pagan esque, and you could just kind of feel like the temperature so to speak uh change when they came through well, it was just a very bizarre thing that that happened at that parade well that's interesting because as i was reading this i was thinking i really wish some of these traditions would come back <laughs> oh my word apparently there is like a some sort of wiccan i don't know if it's a wiccan store there there is a store in homewood and yes, we think that that's what the business what that flow oh, is okay. associated yeah with. it's right beneath johnny's yeah Mm-hmm. Johnny, it was so good. it was very strange. At first, I was like, "Is this? Are they supposed to be like Chronicles of Narnia?" Because it looked like there was like a witch, and so I was like, "What is happening?" And I was like, "Well, where is the lion at? Like, where is the victorious 
lion. Well, that that was not the case. It yeah. was not Narnia. It was not a Narnia reference. Wow. Anyways, that's all I have to say about that. William oh. Ashley, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Well, William <laughs> has a part two to his email. Oh oh, that's right. Now, I'm really going to summarize this. <laughs> mm-hmm, all right. Mm-hmm. So, basically, the part two is a response to our uh, our riffing on some Christmas songs that aren't our favorites, um, including songs like Christmas Shoes, Mary Did You Know, Breath of Heaven, these kinds of things. And some basic- hot takes, really. Yeah, yeah. Hot takes. So, basically, he responds and says that his wife, Cassidy, loves those songs <laughs> um, and that it, her, her love for those songs convinced him to reconsider them. Uh, uh-huh. and he wow. says, uh, "He says I've taken upon myself the task of convincing myself <laughs> that Mary, did you know, is at least not a terrible song." <laughs> Again, hear me out. And basically, he goes on to talk about um, the role of imagination, yes, in Christian imagination, and how a lot of these songs challenge us to imagine ourselves in particular situations, whether that's Christmas shoes, and so it's making you imaginatively rehearse an act of generosity, or whether that's putting yourself in the shoes of Mary and thinking yes. through that. And, and, and so he just talks about the importance of Christian imagination. And he says, uh, those songs that I used to hate play an important role in Christian imagination. Yes, they may be grossly overplayed. Uh, but, you know, basically he says through what they do, the, these are practices of worship, even if they're difficult to enjoy and sometimes pretty tacky. Anyways, hope you enjoyed this. It's uh, great to write and listen. In Christ love, William Arthur Ashley. So, William, I could not agree with you more about the importance of the Christian imagination. That's a good point. And the importance of art in the Christian imagination. I would make an argument that one could still distinguish between good art and the Christian imagination and poor art <laughs> and the Christian imagination. We got an entire that would be an entire episode right But you there. know, this is one of the beauties of art though. You can disagree. That's right. Absolutely. You can completely disagree and mm-hmm. what a movie that JM loves mm. can be a movie that everyone else in the world hates. What makes yeah, good well, art? Great, Just talk you know. to my wife. Uh, <laughs> she'll, she'll tell you. Every so, time I picked a movie over our either Christmas break or our corona break um yeah, I always had to preface it as like, okay, now this is a film, <laughs> so I just I just want you to just know that going into it, just don't you know there doesn't necessarily have to be a story that is pushing us forward. Let's just kind of <laughs> enter into this, open ourselves up. There to doesn't need to, to be dialogue. There doesn't need. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, but I did love the Matrix, though. I mean, listen, I love movies, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you see the new one, Matrix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's oh, what you're talking, talking about. I did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed, yeah, I enjoyed it too. It. I'm feeling Shade Cinema coming on, oh, you man. know, for a yeah. blockbuster film instead of an artsy one. You know, yeah, we maybe could. We, huh? Maybe we can get Keanu on. Oh. <laughs> he is like supposedly one of the ni- the nicest person he, in all of Hollywood, would. so he would probably do he, it. He's our best bet. Oh my word. Anyway, okay. Well, all one right, we got to move on. We got to move on to go. They get shorter from here, people. So here we go. JM, you take the next one. Okay, yep. Yep. Okay, so uh, Tanisha wrote in after our Year in Review 2021 episode where we shared some of our favorite music, books, etc. from this past year. So she wrote in. She says, uh, 
in high school, I was on my church's human video dance team. Cringe. And we had T-shirts made before one of our performances. The guy getting the T-shirts forgot the list with our names and decided to just make up nicknames for us. I got Lady T. Um, hence the uh, name of the email, Lady T's Top oh, okay. 21, 2021. Uh, I was actually in some human videos, too. Were you guys in any human videos growing up? I, I definitely did some at my I, church. I was not, um, but... I don't know uh, if she would be okay with me sharing this, but I'm going to. She doesn't listen. Uh, my, my eldest sister definitely was like the director of like a youth group, like human oh, video nice. kind of team. There were big. There was a time. Where so I was big very thing. familiar with it, but I never, I never did it. Okay, uh, <laughs> here here are her lists. Uh, her favorite music from last year: Paul Zach, his hymns record. Um, I have not listened to that. I know who Paul Zach is. I believe he's done some stuff with Porter's Gate um, oh, okay. and some various other uh, Christian songwriting collectives. But um, he's a talented, talented dude. Elizabeth cool. Cotton, uh, general catalog, she says, was reminded of her from reading a book uh, with Ez. The Magnificent Musical Life of Elizabeth Cotton. So cute. And she just loved the song Freight Train. Super chill. I have not listened to Elizabeth Cotton, so I don't know. You guys familiar with, with her? I'm not. I'm looking all these up right now. Okay, she had some books. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys right now that I have really only heard of one of these. The first book was NF. I don't know anything about that. Cultish, about cults. I wonder who wrote that. Who wrote the cultish book? Because I know there's a... She doesn't give an author. There's a podcast. I'm Googling it now. I don't know if it's this one. Cultish, the language of fanaticism. It came out last year. By Amanda Montel. Hmm. Okay, um, so that was one of her favorites. The Beauty in Breaking, memoir of an Atlanta ER doctor. Wow, that sounds super intense. Mm-hmm. Crying in H-Mart. Chinese-American author writes about end-of-life care for her mother. Hmm. Uh, Tanisha said this gutted me, but in a good way. Wow. Educated, an older book about a woman raised by parents off the grid and not attending school until college. Uh, I actually bought that book for Ashley a couple of years ago because it was on it was like on Barack Obama's like top book list one year and Ashley really wanted to read it and she did and she really loved that one a lot too so I've heard good things about that notes on grief a memoir of the author losing her dad short but so many poignant lines so thank you for those books Tanisha oh, oh wait there's more NF and F is nonfiction fiction oh that's <laughs> <laughs> All right. That took me a second too. Maybe you should be reading. Nope, you're, you're okay, so those were Amanda, all non-fiction we book books. Educated. The fiction books, real quick. The most fun I ever had. She mentions that. She mentions another book called Nothing to See Here. She mentions the audio book on Nothing to See Here. And then oh, yeah, I'm all about it. And then yeah, Brad really loves his audio books. And then Midnight Library. Okay, movies and TV. She says, this is my weakest category. Did a lot of rewatching and watching old stuff. Documentary Now is a favorite. I, I love Documentary Now. Have you guys seen that? No. With with Fred Armisen and Bill Hader? No, I have not. Oh, my goodness. It's Documentary Now is an incredible, funny... It's just mockumentaries. Okay, okay. And and each episode is like a different uh, documentary that they What's that it they on? Mock. It was on maybe FX or okay. IFC, I, maybe I think or something it's on like that. Netflix right now. It I, may be on Netflix. I feel now. like it was the banner that came up when I opened it recently, and so I saw the trailer because it just started playing. Oh, okay, it's very funny. It's All very right, funny. I have to check that out. Okay, uh, she also mentions Never Have I Ever season one. 
Have you seen that, Brad? Mm-mm. I think Mindy Kaling produced it. And then you, season three. Oh, wait. Yes, I have seen some episodes of that. Of Never Have I mm-hmm. Ever? Yeah. And then you. Is that on Netflix? You? I feel like I've heard of that. Yes. I can't remember the details, but she says, hey, don't judge me. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, do not judge Tanisha, whatever whatever that means. And she said she listened to a lot Is it of- about like a stalker or something? I don't know. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> She listened to a lot of podcasts, Working It Out with Mike Birbiglia. I have not listened to that podcast. Oh, I'm sure it's funny, though. Mike Birbiglia is one of my favorite comedians. Great. Conan Needs a Friend with Ellie Kemper. Mm. I think that's Conan's podcast. Okay. Uh, JVN, Are Plants Literal Geniuses? No idea. And, of course, Shades Midweek. Thank you, Tanisha. <laughs> Thank you for best, the love and for best, writing Best in. for last, no doubt. Uh, those, yeah, I've got to check out some stuff that she sent. Great recommendations. Sweet. All right. All right. Along got- along the same lines, we've got an email from Connor Gata, who's written into the show before. We love Connor. 2021 album recommendation. He says, hey, Midweek, I thoroughly enjoyed the best of the 2021 episode. I thought I would add to the conversation and recommend a 2021 album. Emil Masseri's soundtrack for the A24 film Minari was by far my favorite album of the year. It is a really moving bit of ambient modern classic that has meant a lot to me over the past year. Also, the movie that it accompanies isn't bad either. Check it out. Best Connor. I just watched Minari over the Christmas break, and Uh it is fantastic. It got a lot of buzz last year, uh, and I had just not been able to see it yet. It is about a Korean family that moves to Arkansas, They buy this land. The father wants to start a garden, and they're just kind of struggling. And so it just goes through their whole struggle and trying to find community there, uh, trying to find a church family, and uh, and they're raising these two kids. Their grandmother moves in with them from Korea. It's it's an amazing story. How'd you watch it? You know, I bought it a while back, like a digital copy. Okay. um, When it was on sale. It may be on a streaming service, though. You may be able to find it on Hulu or Prime. All just, right. Just Google it and see. I want to check but that, that out for that sure. that soundtrack is really good, Connor. Connor's awesome. He's always into, like, all kinds of stuff. He's always telling me, like, it's always really random rabbit trails that he goes down, and then he shares it with me. And me Love and, it. Me and him email back and forth about movies that we're watching. Oh, that's great. Nice. All right, we've got one more email. I think Brad's going to take care of this one. Yeah, and th- this is going to actually help transition us as well uh, because this uh, this email, uh, it's kind of a, a, a Pastor Facts. I don't know. Let's go for it. Brad, yeah. just read. Pastor Facts. So maybe I give a little background first. So this is in response to the episode that we did with Brooke Primo. That was l- last week. Last week. <laughs> right, yeah. have, yes, it was last <laughs> week. Meet a member, and on that episode, Brooke talked about the Enneagram. She talked about being a four, correct? Yes. And Jonathan said, hey, I'm a four. And so in the middle of Shades Midweek, they started talking about what that means for them, how that has helped them kind of understand more about themselves. Well, and we and we mentioned the fact, too, that we might do an entire episode on the Enneagram at a later point. Yes, mentioned that. So with that in the background, let's read the email from Joni Ford. Love, Joni. Hi, Midweek. Just listened to the Brooke Primo episode. You really do need to have her back sometime to speak on living in grace. She has an amazing story to share. Yes. Definitely. We agree. And speaking of living in grace, I had a question about the Enneagram. 
I listened to a podcast last year that did an extensive interview with a woman who has a ministry to folks in the New Age. She used to be an astrologer before she met Christ. She talked up the New Age origins of the Enneagram and specifically that it was received in recent decades via automatic writing rather than the ancient origins it often purports. As I understand it, automatic writing is just, excuse me, is a method of channeling spirits. She says it crossed over to the church via a Jesuit monk teaching in New Age Catholic circles. She uh, posts the link to her blog. Just go to Christian Ant. Christian Answers for the New Age.org, and you can find the article there. It's Christian Answers for the New Age.org. You can find the article there. So, Joni says, Do y'all have any thoughts on the origin of the Enneagram? Heard any alternate stories? I first heard about the Enneagram from a Christian friend a few years ago. The only people I know who use it are Christians, and much of the online Enneagram content is by Christians. Some writers try to make it seem Christian y but I'm highly suspicious that it's not above board. I would really love to hear y'all's thoughts. Cheers, Joni Ford. Thanks, Joni, for writing in. Yes, Joni, thank you for writing in. And and what I'm going to try to do really quick is give a brief response. So, Joni, I'm sure that my answers here are going to be very dissatisfying. (laughs) Um, But because we have kind of teased the fact that maybe we'll do a full Enneagram episode in the future, that'll give us time to tease out a lot more of these kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. So specifically, the the woman that uh, Joni is mentioning is Marsha Montenegro. Uh, Marsha Montenegro, and and she's right. She used to. She was heavily in the New Age movement and was an astrologer. All of these different things. Uh, and yeah, so when Marsha talks about the Enneagram, she does stress its New Age origins. Um, that the nine types specifically were received mm-hmm. through automatic writing, which Joni's 100% right. Yes, is this New Age practice of channeling spirits and receiving information. All of all of that. Now, because I don't have time to address everything right here, I would first and foremost direct Joni and others who are interested to another resource that is out there. There's a podcast called Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um and if you go look for Unbelievable, uh, one of the things they do on that podcast often is have two different people of opposing views, and they do they do like a debate style kind yeah. of thing. Um, and uh, and this is a, the the guy that hosts the podcast. He is a Christian. He's a believer. This is supposed to be a resource for Christians. But what you want to search for is the episode called "Should Christians Embrace the Enneagram?" Todd Wilson and Marsha Montenegro. Should Christians Embrace the Enneagram, Todd Wilson, and Marsha Montenegro. I, it was uh, in May of last year when they yep. recorded the Unbelievable episode. podcast. Has a guy's face on it. Yes. Um, and so Marsha, who she just mentioned, and, and who she's debating uh, a guy by the name of Todd Wilson. Uh, Todd is the president of the Center for Pastor Theologians in Chicago. He served as a pastor uh, he's an academic as well. And Todd is debating on the side of, yeah, Christians can totally use the Enneagram. And Marsha is saying, no, they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give my summary real quick of kind of where I am on these issues. Well, and, and both have written, sorry to interrupt, but both have written books, correct? Yes. Yeah. So Todd yeah. Wilson's book is The uh, the Enneagram Goes to Church. Uh, Marsha Montenegro's book is co-authored with some other people, and it... It, it has Richard Rohr in the title. I can't remember the entire title, uh, but Richard Rohr is the Jesuit, Jesuit 
uh, that she's Catholic referencing. That she's referencing right mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and all of that is true. Like everything that uh, like I, I don't disagree with Marsha's account of the origins of the Enneagram or how it got introduced into Christian how circles, it became popular, how it became popular, any of that kind of stuff. But I would I would push back a little bit um, on uh, on the origins thing. I'll talk about that in just a second. But basically. To give you kind of my perspective on on these things, uh, I'm just going to give you three brief thoughts. Three brief thoughts. So the first one is uh, muddled origins. In other words, the Enneagram does have muddled origins. Uh, Marsha, I respect Marsha a lot. I think she does a lot of good work. Um, but I do think she kind of cleans it up, um, the history of it, and, and ties it all to very recent New Age practices when history any uh, like we mentioned when mentioned we were talking earlier. about christmas earlier in in um in christmas traditions when we were talking about william's email uh traditions uh they have a muddled history and there are people that will take uh not the enneagram as a whole but some of the basic thoughts and concepts all the way back to some of the desert fathers like Evagoras and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, marcia want to say wants to say that all that's been debunked i i don't know that it has i just think it's a little more clouded mm. uh but that that takes us to point number two and todd actually talks about this a lot in their debate which by the way i don't think their debate is like one-sided and there's just oh, a clear winner clear loser i think they both make some great arguments yeah, make good fantastic points, along points. The way. so it's it's really helpful i think for people if they're thinking through this i think it'll help you uh, to, to clarify kind of how you want to approach the issue yeah but one of the things todd talks about so this is point number two is the genetic fallacy and the genetic fallacy is the idea of if something comes from what I would consider to be a bad source, I just ha- mm-hmm. I can't have anything to do with it. I have to throw it out altogether. Um, and uh, so, so this is easily relatable to Christmas traditions. I was going to say this would take us right back to William's email. Right, absolutely. So the fact that Christmas trees don't start off within Christianity, but come from pagan traditions, or or we, we could go to any number of different things associated with Christmas. Yeah, uh, we just need to absolutely dispense with those things because of their origin; they are irredeemable. Well, Todd Wilson wants to make a distinction that I think is helpful. It's a distinction that's made oftentimes, uh, and that's between uh, derivation and direction. So, derivation where something comes from, and direction how it's actually used mm-hmm. now. And, and what Todd would say and what I would say as well is that something's source and what it derives from doesn't negate a, uh, a, a legitimate use of it hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we could give some examples of that. So let's just say psychology. Yeah. You know, so psychology, uh, it, the big fathers of psychology are not Christians. Most of them are atheists. Yeah. Um, like, modern psychology. Yeah, modern psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, does that mean I the term narcissism, which I believe was coined by Freud, uh, who was an atheist, like, does that mean I can't use that as a helpful category? It's not getting yeah. at something that's true or something like that. Well, there's nothing true about it. Right, right. Well, yeah. no, of, of course not. Uh, now, we as Christians want to think critically when we engage something like psychology, mm-hmm. and we want to see it through the lens of what Scripture teaches us. Scripture's our ultimate authority. But it doesn't mean that there, you know, all truth is God's truth, and it doesn't mean that there's not truth there that can be beneficial mm-hmm. and helpful to us. Well, someone might push back against what I just said right there and say, "Yeah, but that's psychology. It's scientifically verified. This 
stuff we're talking about has pagan origins. It's got spiritual origins, this automatic writing stuff mm. and all that. Well, again, I would go back to Christmas as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, or And I actually wrote a blog. If you go to thejoyofglory.com, I don't blog there hardly ever anymore. But I wrote a blog years ago. You can search for it and find it. And it's called uh, Pagan Origins of Christmas? Question mark. This is Jonathan's claim to fame. Yes. <laughs> no, not that one. My claim to fame is the one where it was why the Hafes don't do Santa. Oh, okay. Never mind. That was my only That's blog the one that, that went blew viral. Up. It was getting <laughs> hits in Russia. Oh, it, it was a little ridiculous. It still gets hits every <laughs> December. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Um, so, but but yeah, like I'm going to mm. make an argument that things that we do at Christmas, like decorating a Christmas tree, mm-hmm. yeah, it may have pagan origins, but those can be neutralized and then it can be redeemed, filled with new Christian meaning. Mm-hmm. So syncretism, syncretism is the combining of religions. Syncretism is when I take some paganism and I stir it into my Christianity and I get something that's not either Christian or paganism proper. Yeah. It's some it's, new, it's a new color. Third thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what's happening with a Christmas tree. It would be if we were using the Christmas tree to point to Jesus and to worship some, you know, Germanic god of the forest or whatever. That's right. Which William had some ideas of how you could do that <laughs> from the email. But to take a Christmas tree to neutralize it, redeem it, fill it with new meaning, where I'm going to talk about uh, an evergreen being a symbol of life and that Jesus brings us eternal life. We put lights on it because he's the light of the world. We decorate it as he decorated the cross with his body. Like, I'm going to make everything about it about Jesus. Mm. Well, this is just a new helpful you know, teaching tool that I use with my kids. And I believe that's a completely legitimate use of a Christmas tree. And I think that Christians have done this throughout history as Christianity has spread from culture to culture with all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about our worship practices. Um, Dance is a massive part of worship in Africa. Less so here. Well, why? Well, because Africa has traditions that go beyond Christianity steeped in dance, and most of those have religious origins. Well, does that mean that they shouldn't dance and worship? Well, no, it's got to be neutralized and then transposed into a Christian key. That's the way that Todd Wilson will talk about it. we got to mm-hmm. transpose this. So just like you can do that with Christmas, just like you can do that with uh, yoga, which has its roots in Eastern mysticism and all of that, and it can definitely be neutralized and made just a workout, uh, mm-hmm. even transposed into a Christian key where you can actually use it to focus on Christ during your time of stretching, which is what Summer Young does here yeah. uh, with a yoga class she teaches here. Um, I actually got asked a question. This is why I say this is a frequently asked uh, pastor question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually got asked a question about this yesterday about gnomes. Yes, like the things you put in your garden. Garden gnomes. Yes. So huh. gnomes have like pagan background and all that stuff and this person was asking me like can i decorate my homes with cute my home with cute little gnome pictures and stuff like that hmm. and you know and my opinion on that is, is yeah that's fine yeah so like what's the fear the fear is i'm going to let some sort of evil presence or yeah, power I'm, into I'm, my home yes i'm, I'm opening a doorway so the, the yeah. fear with decorating your house with gnomes is a little different than what we're talking about with the enneagram here but like yeah, that, depends who you are. Well, well, that can go to like, yeah, almost like physical objects are imbued with some kind of spiritual uh, power. And so I'm like yeah. opening a door for, you know, if I decorate yeah. my home with gnomes, now I need to come pray the demons out of my house. Right. Yeah. Same thing with the Christmas tree. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and whereas I would make the argument, let's say you have a new believer who uh, 
accident like they, they're in a store and they see like a shirt that has a pentagram on it and they don't know what a pentagram is i mean mm. this is a current symbol of satanism yeah and they don't have a clue it's, it's a cool geometric design um so they buy it and they wear it well have they opened themselves up like somehow by just wearing this geometric drawing mm. like to spiritual attack and stuff like that i mm-hmm. don't think that's how that works mm. I, mm. I don't think that's how that works at all now uh, you bring gnomes into your house and start bowing down to them and praying to them and stuff like that. Now we can talk about praying the demons at your house. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, right. It's not that I don't think demons are real and spiritual warfare right. is real and all that. I, I just right. I don't think that it's something you accidentally trip Slip into. Slip into, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, where the Enneagram is different uh, with this idea of opening a door for the enemy is the, is the Enneagram does, it, it is a bit of an educational tool. And because of the place that it comes from, depending upon the resources you're using and what you're using it for, you can get a lot of uh, New Age thought introduced into how you think. Uh, you can get a lot of Gnostic thought introduced into how you, how you think. So, so that is definitely a place where we have to be discerning mm-hmm. and we have to be careful. I'm not saying that there aren't reasons to, to uh, be wary or cautious or any of that. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But that's why I want to come back again to the fact that, like, if we're going to use something like the Enneagram, we have to do it in a proper Christian way, which means the tool has got to be neutralized and transposed into a Christian key, which is something that I think that Todd Wilson's book is is helpful with. So we got it. So I wouldn't say, hey, sure, you can use it. So just run out and buy the next book you see on the Enneagram and just swallow it wholesale like. No, you will get some things introduced into your thought that mm-hmm. are not going to be helpful. Yeah, um, you got to be discerning and studying these things. Um, but okay, so that's so muddled origins, genetic fallacy, and then the third thing, and this is what I was kind of getting into right there at the end. The third thing I would say is uh, obsession and wisdom. In other mm. words, there can definitely be an unhealthy obsession with things like the enneagram, um, anything that has revelatory power. So the power to give you aha moments. Understanding of yourself. Yeah, I understand myself. Understanding I, of how of, people work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anything with revelatory power, uh, people can latch onto and make the authoritative voice uh, in their life. Um, mm-hmm. Scripture has revelatory power, and we believe it is a proper authoritative voice in our life. But So it is possible to uh, use the Enneagram to the point that you end up replacing what should be the role of Scripture, should be the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, because you think that this is the greatest and deepest insight into life and who you are and and all of those things. Whereas I would want to argue, no, it's a helpful tool that can come alongside of these things and provide some insight and be helpful, uh, but it is not the end-all, be-all. So we got to be wary of obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and then we need to be wise. It was the second thing I said. We need to be wise, both in both in discerning, like I said, resources that we want to go to and use, but also we need to be wise in the sense of our own background and our own proclivities and temptations. What I mean by that is let's uh, let's take alcohol as an example. Uh, the Bible teaches that uh, wine is a good gift from God to make merry the hearts of men. It also teaches that drunkenness is 
uh, and overindulgence is a sin against God. Um, so drinking is not uh, a sin, nor is it impermissible. But if I have a Christian brother or sister who comes from an alcoholic background, wisdom may be total abstaining for them. And wisdom for me may be not drinking when I'm around them, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think about this woman, Marcia Montenegro, who comes from, who was saved out of a new, being deeply involved in the New Age movement, um, and who was an astrologer and all these things. And I can totally see why she would have massive red flags mm-hmm. and cautions. And so maybe if if you're the kind of person that becomes obsessive about these things, or you come out of that background where anything that that feels like it has touched any of that yoga, whatever, like mm-hmm. you're like I, I just can't with that. That's okay. That that is okay. And I think that Christians uh, who do find something like the Enneagram as a helpful tool, or do think there's nothing wrong with going to a yoga stretching class, I think we should be sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards our brothers and sisters who feel differently. And, th- and that's the final thing I'll say on this. I believe that this is uh, an issue. It's it's a secondary issue, maybe a third-tier issue. It's an issue Christians can disagree about. Mm. Uh, and so, Joni, at the end of the day, like what I would want to say directly to you is do your research, do your thinking, and if you come to a position where you're like, yeah, I don't want to touch, don't feel like I can't, like uh, by what Paul says, follow your conscience right there. Um, and don't get near it with a 10 foot pole. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like I am going to say, like, I, I do think it's an issue of conscience. And, and so I think Chris can disagree. And I, I do think that it can be a helpful tool. And maybe that's what we'll spend most of our Enneagram episode talking about is how can it be transposed into a Christian key? Yeah. Uh, how can Christians use it properly? How have we found it to be helpful and, yeah. and those kinds of things. But until such a day, uh, I do recommend um, that episode of Unbelievable Should Christians Embrace the Enneagram. It'll give you a really good picture of both thought processes. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to add, like you just said, I think there are some books that do a better job of thinking theologically about the Enneagram than other books. Or how do we think Christianly about the Enneagram? And I think there are some books, like, for instance, I haven't read it, but I've seen a few pieces of Richard's war book where I may disagree with him. And I'm not disagreeing with him in regards to his understanding of the Enneagram. Oh, I'm, dis- I will, I'm I will disagreeing highly... with him in regards to how he's um, saying we should think about the Enneagram right. as Christians. Does that make sense? Whereas like Todd Wilson, for instance, everything I've read for him, I'm like, oh, I think you are thinking about this theologically um, correct and in a helpful way. And so I think there can be disagreements there. So as you're talking, there are just a lot of different layers and right. things to think through in regards yeah. to how we would incorporate this into our life. Right. Well, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, and I, I will fully go on the record and say that, uh, that yeah, I would not endorse Richard Rohr's book on anything, uh, much less on, on the Enneagram. I, I don't think that he's orthodox at all, uh, and I think that even just standard traditional Catholicism, by their own definitions, that uh, he holds to many heretical uh, beliefs, and so I, yeah, not going to recommend uh, mm. Richard Rohr as a faithful guide in in the Enneagram or anything else. Yeah. But there are good resources. Yeah, it's um, not a death by association kind of situation. Yes, that's another fallacy. Fallacy yeah. by association. Yeah. Um. So because this person uh, likes the Enneagram and they 
uh, are un- are unorthodox or what have not, then the, uh, it's got to be thrown out. Yep. With bathwater. Yep. Like, or then I'm going to put you so in their box. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, do we have time left <laughs> to How tackle much? a second Pastor Facts question? I don't know. How much time do you have? I got 15 minutes. I don't know. Can I make this? Can I make this? It's up to you. It's up to you, Jonathan. Why don't we hold it? Let's hold it. Let's hold it. Okay. So, so what? I'll what's tease the, it. What's the question though? Yeah, the question is why is church membership a big deal, or is church membership biblical? Like you could kind of. Mm. It, those are the two ways that question kind of gets phrased. And I made some comments uh, in my sermon this past Sunday that could raise those questions for people. So maybe I don't know what we've got lined up for next week, but maybe we'll do another Pastor Facts episode and. Uh, tackle that question. If not, we'll tackle it soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but until then, this could be, you know, Pastor Facts, uh, uh, the genetic fallacy. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it yeah. kind of, it, 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 it's not that the question specifically about the Enneagram right. is a frequently asked question. Yes. It's that this type of the question. Type of question. Yeah. So yep. I would say much more commonly I get asked questions about Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of same realm. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so yeah, so we'll call it right there. Um, it's good. Jan, you got anything to add? No. Welcome back from COVID. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, well, thanks for listening. And if you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org because here at Shades Midweek, you're part of the conversation. This has been another episode of Shades Midweek. Thanks for listening.